our last day in the book of James, and honestly, I'm a little bit sad about it because we've had such a rich, challenging study from this letter to the church written by the brother of Jesus. James has pastored us well, and I'm grateful for the depth of insight we've been able to share together. So today we end with just two short verses at the very end, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, and I will read them as we begin. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. Many of us are acquainted with Reverend Eugene Peterson, who was a well-known minister and professor and author. He wrote many books, but is probably best known for his contemporary translation of the Bible called The Message. Among clergy, he is known as the pastor to the pastors because he wrote a lot about what it means to be a shepherd. And he lamented the fact that so many pastors, in his estimation, had become managers and CEOs instead of shepherding God's people. And he wanted to make sure that we knew what it meant to follow Jesus and be a shepherd. He passed away last year into the presence of the Lord, and his son, Leif, had some humorous and honoring things to say at his memorial service. In it, he told how he had said to his dad before he died, you know, I think that you really only had one sermon in your life. For all of the ministry that you did, for all the books that you, that you wrote, I think you really only had one thing to say. Despite decades of sharing the Bible with people in creative ways, he told his dad, you know, it's almost laughable how you fooled people for 30 years every week when you were trying to say something new. They didn't know how simple it all was. They were blind to your secret. Leaf said that he knew his father's secret because his father prayed it over him and instilled it into him in his life. And here is the message. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He is relentless. I thought of these words for our study this week because they reflect so much the meaning of what James is saying here. The whole story of God is about redemption, where God offers ways for people to come back to him over and over again, relentlessly pursuing a wayward humanity with great love and intention. Ultimately, he becomes one of us, making it possible to truly know him through Christ, whose death indeed does cover a multitude of sins. Now, it's curious that James's letter just ends abruptly. Most, most letters in the New Testament, there are words of blessing at the end or prayer, or even housekeeping things that the church needs to do. But here, there's none of that. James's last thoughts are not conventional words of farewell. They are words of action that show us an important idea, that God has committed to us his work of reconciliation to bring the lost back to him. So we're going to look at four ideas from these two short verses of why I think that James does this. 
So first, let's talk about this. The first reason for James's exhortation is because the church is a community who cares for one another. Here, James is showing again his pastoral heart. In his book, he uses the terms, my brothers and sister, 14 times. And by addressing the church this way, he emphasizes how the church is a family connected by the blood of Christ. He also continues here to focus on our communal life together, which he began a few paragraphs ago. Remember last week we talked about this, that we should pray for one another, that we should confess our sins to one another, that we should sing to one another, that we should face the injustices of the world as one. So this is not a casual relationship based on a shared ideal. The Lord has bound his people together by our belief in his sacrifice and his indwelling spirit. Last week, we talked about what it means to be vulnerable. We're more connected, we talked about, when we risk openness in our relationships with the Lord and each other. And that idea continues here because in order to share our doubts... In order to encourage one another to trust God, it means that we have to be real with one another. The church is a place of mutual care where we help one another in our weaknesses and our successes. And James is saying we have to come alongside one another when there is a crisis of faith. And we have to let other people in when the shoe is on the other foot. The second reason for James's exhortation is because truth is central to life in Christ. All throughout his book, James has said that truth is something that we know and it's something that we live out. It's both. And maturity is having those things come closer and closer together in our lives. Correct thinking and righteous living. Truth here means that which is distinguished from falsehood. Truth is what is genuine and real. Jesus comes and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He reminds us that the truth sets us free. He says, I'm going to send to you the spirit of truth who will guide you into all wisdom in your life. James has been bringing truth in this letter to us, hasn't he? He has not been afraid to say the difficult words because he wants the church to listen to the correction that he's bringing. When we read these words in James, we understand that there's tension between righteousness and mercy. James is saying that a person has to be brought back to the the truth when they wander away. But what does that look like? There's not a specific roadmap, and every situation is unique. I would say that for sure it means listening. We have to listen to the person who has said, you know, I'm just done. I'm just done with God. We have to listen to why that is. Kind of put in our anxiety about it on the shelf a little bit, just so that we can listen and be present to their pain. But it also means that we have to speak the truth. We can't just listen and be like, oh, uh uh-huh, yeah, I get you. Mm -hmm, I see you. No. We also have to speak the truth because this is God's work. The point of reaching out, James says, is to bring them back. This is hard for us 
And we're afraid that we're going to mess it up. But remember, this is God's work, and we are being obedient. And Christ is there with us, giving us wisdom in every situation, because every person belongs to him. To the rich young man, Jesus tells him, you need to sell everything you have and follow me. To the woman caught in adultery, he didn't say, oh yeah, that's okay. He said, go and sin no more. To the hypocritical religious leader, Jesus told them, don't just honor God with your mouth. Honor God with your life. He told Peter, you need to get behind me because right now you are acting like the evil one. You need to step aside. Here's my point. There are going to be times when you are the person that God wants to use to tell someone he loves dearly the truth that they need to hear. Whether it's well-received or not is not our job. And that doesn't determine our obedience. When God tells you to act for him, I pray that you will listen. And that you will go to the one who needs to know the truth. And I pray that if you are the person who needs to hear the truth, that you will listen and seek God's heart. The third reason for James's exhortation here is because... To bring someone back is to save them from death. James uses the word wandering here. When we think about this, I don't know what you picture about someone who wanders away. There are lots of reasons why people wander away from the Lord. They wander away because they intentionally want to go in the other direction. They wander to satisfy a curiosity of something else that is out there. People sometimes wander away because they're bored. They're not very engaged. They're not really taking the time with God. People wander away. Sometimes they run away because of the hurt that they've experienced in the church. It certainly happens when a person is captivated by something new and novel. And I was thinking how this reminds me so much of the parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus says, I will leave the 99 and I will go and find the one. The one who is missing, who has wandered off because they are a beloved part of the flock. And they're in a kind of danger that they don't even understand. And we know that God identifies himself as shepherd in Psalm 23. But I also encourage you to read Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, God says, I am the true shepherd over all of Israel. And he's actually pretty ticked off. He's mad because he set uh, some shepherds up to care for the flock and they haven't done it. They've been selfish. They've done what they wanted to do. They haven't believed in God. And so people have scattered. And so he said, yeah, I'm going to appoint a new shepherd. His name is David. And he is going to have the job of tending the lambs who is going to rescue those who have scattered to so many places and bring them back into the richness of my fold. You see, to bring sheep back into the fold is to do the work of God. That is what the church is called to now in these days. Scripture agrees with James here. The result of wandering away from God forever is death. He's not being overly dramatic to say that to bring a sinner back is to save them from a hellish existence here and for eternity. 
God doesn't want anyone to perish. Because of his mercy, he continues to hold a hand out to us, often using the church as a lifeline. Some of us right now are reading a short book written by our former bishop, Matt Thomas. It's called Living and Telling the Good News. And I don't know if you remember when he was here uh, last year at Thanksgiving, uh, he has a very obvious gift of evangelism. He has led countless people to Christ in taxi cabs, gas stations, restaurants, airports, wherever he goes, he just strikes up a conversation with people that he meets. And when he retired, he said, you know, I don't want everyone inviting me to their church, asking me to talk to their people about how it is to reach out. So I'm going to write a book and everybody can read it. And then if they want to call me, they can call me. Now, one of the chapters uh, that he talks about this is he talks about how we need to think about those in our lives or those that we come into contact with who have the greatest need. He said, when you have conversations about the faith, you need to be keenly alert to those around you. Watch for signs that they're ready to talk. He said, so many people are fighting battles that they don't talk about, but man, can you see Can you see them in their lives? You can see the battle that they're fighting in their attitudes, in their lifestyle choices, in the ways that they talk about the faith, they talk about God, they talk about the church. I was thinking how this is so true for those who have clearly wandered away from God. We know that a crisis can bring people back to faith, but hard times can also drive them away. And there are deep scars that people have from being in controlling and abusive churches. So what is their battle that has turned into a spiritual war in their souls? What is it that God wants us to bring? Bishop Matt says, you know what? These people don't need more condemnation. They've had a lot of that. And trust me when I say, he says, that they are feeling it themselves. What they need to know is the truth that God loves them. And has brought healing and forgiveness for them. When we wander from God's truth, we need to be turned around in the right direction. I was thinking about how when we are at a party and we have a pinata and people put a blindfold on us. And then they turn us all around and we don't even know where we are or what's going on. And we have a stick in our hand. (laughs) I was thinking how someone who is wandering and lost can often feel that way. And I was thinking about Paul on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden God just shines this light and says, Paul, why are you doing this to me? Why are you persecuting God's people? Why are you harming? And in that moment, Paul didn't know where he was. He was completely blinded. And it was the church. It was the people who had to come alongside and forgive him. They needed to give him a framework for what was happening. He needed help to understand what was going on. God says these really difficult words in Ezekiel 3. If I, God, say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you, God's people, give them no warning or speak to warn the wicked from their wicked way in order to save their life. These wicked people will die for their iniquity, but their blood I will require at your hand. The Lord needs us. To be reaching out to those who are dying and lost and alone without God. 
Now, it isn't clear here from James uh, whose sins are being covered when it says their sin, the multitude of sins are covered. The Greek is ambiguous. So it leads us to think that James intends for the sins of both parties to be forgiven, the one who wanders and the one who brings them back. And First Peter reminds us that love covers a multitude of sins. So may we love deeply those in our lives who are wandering from God. The last reason for James's exhortation here is that these words are consistent with the rest of the book. You see, James's whole book is about helping those who have wandered from the truth in the church. In this letter, there are more imperative verbs than any other book in the New Testament. One writer said, James is the bossiest book in the Bible. Words like listen and show and weep and behold. It makes sense that James would encourage the community of faith to continue the work he advocated to those who were struggling. This whole book is given so that people would turn from error and understand God's truth in ways they had been missing and provide a model of exhortation. If we are to remember what it looks like to bring back those who have wandered from the centrality of the gospel, if we need to remember what that looks like, all we need to do is read James's word for how Jesus means the truth to live. Remember the lessons from James. He has called us to consider trials a joy. He has told us to ask God for wisdom and exhorted us to never forget to care for the poor. He has called us out for blaming God when we are tempted and for only being hearers of the word, not doers of the word. We've had many vivid lessons about the tongue. And James says, your religion is useless if you don't bridle your tongue. He has told us in no uncertain terms that partiality is wrong for believers and that we understand a new way of how faith and works act in tandem. We had an important lesson on wisdom and we saw how it was so much better coupled with gentleness. He challenged us on friendship with the world, as well as having a pride that puffs us up and leads us to judge and not to love. He helped us see the frivolousness of boasting and the gift of patience. He has shown us and told us what true vulnerability in a community looks like. And now he tells us to do the work of rescuing one another when we go astray. James was a key leader in the church of Jerusalem of his day. Other disciples may seem more prominent, but James was known as righteous because he became associated with the holiness that he taught and lived. And he encourages us to think more theologically about how the whole Bible fits together. How many lessons did we have about wisdom literature and the truth of Jesus brought together? He wants us to see scripture as a whole connected, allowing us to be more seeped in its truth. The Holy Spirit has met us in astounding ways in this book. May we all continue to live out the convictions and assurances we have received in this time of study. 
We end James now with a quote from a commentator from over a hundred years ago. Who is this tremendous personality who speaks to the whole church with a voice that expects no challenge or dispute? Who appeals to no authority but that of God? Knows no superior but the Lord himself? Quotes examples only from the great ones of the old dispensation, instructs, chides, encourages, denounces with a depth and energy, a fire second to none in the whole range of sacred scripture. That's our James. As we close, let us just be reminded again of Eugene Peterson's single-minded message to everyone who would listen because it so ties into our passage today. God loves you. He is on your side. He is coming after you. He is relentless. No matter how far we wander or how long we stay close to him, helping bring others home, God is going to keep providing new life and hope to us. So may we embrace his salvation through Christ offered to all and trust, trust in him until we see him face to face. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.